Josh Kane and Larry Geyer. Welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. I appreciate you coming out, and I appreciate you, Larry, jumping on to be a co-host for this one. Thanks, man. I'm stoked. No problem. Put the microphone close to your face and stop moving the furniture around, please. You got it done. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So, Josh, you are somebody who Larry went to a workshop for Active Life in Virginia and came back and was just like, dude, you have to have this guy, Josh, on your podcast. I didn't even ask him why. I just said, okay, I'll do it. Can you tell me why now? <laughs> and he did. What I would love for you to do is introduce yourself in a way that allows our audience to understand the value that you're going to be able to bring to them today so that uh, we can create some context for the conversation we're about to have. For sure. Love it. Definitely can do that. Um, I think I'll just kind of start professionally. You know, uh, the reason I was at that seminar is uh, I'm a head coach and part owner in a gym in Kaga Falls, Ohio, uh, Redemption Fitness and Sports Performance. And so I was kind of seeking to, I love how you guys say assess, don't guess. Not that coaches are guessing all the time, but I think when you have an actual framework of assessment, I was kind of seeking that. And so I'm just kind of contextualized meeting with Larry and you know we're at CrossFit Trident and I see Larry, I've, I've, I've followed him on social media, so I felt a little bit more comfortable uh, to come up to him. And uh, we kind of just had this, this genuine connection, which leads me to here. So I just want to say, first of all, I appreciate you, Larry. We'll go more into bio, um, but I appreciate being on, um, but with, with, with that profession, I'm always chasing how can we keep people healthier? How can we think about joint health, nervous system health? Um, and, and that's the seminar brought that. But, um, but my background as a person is just, uh, I'm a lifelong you know, martial artist. And I think the most value that I bring, at least in the context of this conversation, is a couple, a couple practical stories that shape the way that I move, think, and feel about life. And I think I'm not credentialed. Like you, you guys are the kings of getting doctors, not for doctor's sake, but it's a, there's a lot of MDs, there's a lot of degrees coming on this show. Um, I don't offer that, but what I do offer is uh, life experience, and I just want to dive into that and, and see what we can extract. I might learn something about myself, and I want to learn something more about you and, and Larry while we're doing this. So I'm down with that. Larry, why did you think you should come on the show? So I don't know exactly what it was, but Josh immediately struck me as brilliant within 10 seconds, and also the kind of person who could, if he wanted to, in one way or another, just reduce me a great amount. Just swipe my feet out from underneath me, not just physically. Um, those are the kinds of people that I think are the kinds of people we need to be listening to more of. Um, and I think if I understand you well enough, um, Dr. Sean, the kind of person that we need to have on this kind of show who can take us to a, a level that we forgot that we could be at and to, to show us something from perspective we, we didn't previously have. He's definitely that person. I um, can agree to disagree, not to interrupt. Uh, I've seen you roundhouse kick. So we'll, we'll see about the journey about sweeping out from the feet. Has he seen mine? What's that? No, he hasn't. I'm like a professional fighter now. <laughs> You're getting pretty good. <laughs> I, we have to show you. You working on it? Uh, yeah. I'm Love fucking it. Back awesome. You got the bag. You got a great bag, long bag. Good. Huh? Backside kicks. Okay. Pretty good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You do I'm, have a really good Taekwondo mind here. That's so I'm legit. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> we were just we were just in Seattle. We were talking about how I'm like I'm basically professional. Uh, a walking lethal weapon. <laughs> yeah, you should register yourself. I probably should. Dr. Sean is the most dangerous person in fitness. If I register myself, though, and some schmuck start to fight with me and I hurt him really bad, I could get arrested. Yeah. I want to do that. Better it's like a pro license. card, yeah. I'm not trying to do that. Can't be that lethal. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get, to, let's get to thought. So the reason why I, I'm excited to have you on is because Larry described you as somebody who really just thinks very differently than most people who we know. And I'm always interested in getting perspective from people who are thinking more in general than I am and 
thinking more about what they're thinking about than maybe I am. And I shouldn't even say that as a comparison. It's not about you versus me Better versus or worse, Larry. Definitely not. Right. It's more about just you care enough to think about what you're thinking about. And that brings about some really cool revelations. And I didn't always, which we're about to get into, right. I imagine. So, so I would love for you to talk, just kind of introduce to our audience where that thought started. Right? Absolutely, I think, yeah. it's, I think it's a unique. Yeah, I had a moment that was just like a complete change, like a 180 degree change that you would almost see in a movie. There wasn't a Rocky montage. There was no 80s music, but I think everything was different. And what allowed me to think was losing my ability for thought. So Which, what do you mean by losing your ability to think? Like, I, I don't think when I'm sleeping. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the great, great point. Let's clarify. Um, so I've had a history of brain trauma. Not not proud of it, but it's definitely a part of who I am. Um, we could go. We could probably have a whole podcast about all the concussions I've had and the random events that have followed it. To contextualize, I'll give you three examples. I had one where uh, I had a snowboard above my head, just holding it, and uh, somebody on a sled, like an inner tube, sweeped out my left leg. Didn't see him, and the the snowboard went about ten feet up in the air. I remember seeing it go up, and it ended up smacking me in the forehead. So this isn't the event. This isn't the worst concussion, but very random. Like I wasn't jumping off of buildings. I wasn't trampoline jumping. I'm not doing parkour and hitting my head. Like I got hit by a golf ball on a golf course where someone didn't yell four. Um, I was unconscious and my grandpa had no idea that I had knocked out to the point where I was laying down and he goes, are you like taking a nap? And he wasn't kidding. Like, so that's how quick, random and fascinating it hit me in the temple. Um, but the major event, the one that completely changed everything was I was in gym class as a, uh, a younger person, I think I was sophomore going into junior, and this shows you how crazy the the trauma was that I still can't really, I can't really put a date. I mean, I know the year, but it's it's so hard. The only thing I remember is the gas price from this day. I was driving into school, and I end up getting headbutted during a football game by my own teammate, and he didn't mean to, but it was the hardest part of his head into my temple, and this is now all relayed to me. So I, I don't remember any of this, but this is what people who, multiple people who I asked because I really wanted to know what happened. How um, much What's up? Were you wearing a helmet? Uh, no, no, no. So we were, it was just like a, a, a touch football. It, there was no tackle at all. It just happened that this kid was very clumsy. Got it. Again, okay. on my team. So we were both in the wrong position at the wrong time. Um, but I'm flatline knocked out. This is my eighth concussion, by the way. Pretty, all pretty traumatic. Um, and didn't recover well from him. We might get into that. But eighth concussion happens. Um, I remember... Uh, basically getting knocked out. They told me that I ended up single-legging a kid. So, like, my brain must have went fight or flight. I think I'm in a, a fight here. Um, and so I ended up single-legging the kid, bringing him to the ground. And I did not strike him at all, but I thought I was in a fight and ended up getting pulled off of him. Um, but all I remember is I was in a tank top, and I blinked, right? I blinked, and I was in a wheelchair. It was four hours later, and I was in flannel. It was literally like Sean. Like, I looked at my left shoulder, and I could see it. And then I looked at my arm again, and I had a sleeve on it. And that was very overwhelming, especially being in that trauma. Um, I had partial loss of vision, couldn't see out of my left eye at all. Um, so a lot of things were kind of going through my mind. And if I could equate what it felt like, I was very conscious of the moment it happened. It was like somebody uh, literally kicked me in the face like or hit me with a baseball bat square in the front part of my face, the nose. You know, we're not on a camera here. And if you've, have you ever played Call of Duty? Kind of on I have not. Okay, have you, you haven't. I equated it to if you, anybody that's played Call of Duty at home, if you throw a flashbang, everything gets really gray and loud. If you're wearing headphones, it kind of gets loud. It's disorienting. Um, I've never been, I'm not saying it's the experience of an actual flashbang, but if you play the game, the screen blacks out. It's very loud. It's very overwhelming. That's exactly what happened to me. And But then I blink in the hospital. Um, I get a CAT scan. I end up having a fight with my own mother, who I've never argued with at that level, because I forgot I got a CAT scan. Like, she kept telling me I did, and I just couldn't accept that it had happened. Um, and then the recovery process from that was brutal, so I, I end up going home. Um, and I get what's called post-impact syndrome. Are you guys familiar? Nope. Um, so I'm not a neurologist, but it's 
basically, let's simplify it because I know nothing of neuroscience to that level where you have a traumatic event and then immediately after, before your body can even acclimate to that traumatic event, another brain trauma happens, whether that's a shift of your head. In my case, I got another impact in my head that would have given me a concussion without how did the, you do the that? Concussion. Weren't you in the hospital? Um, no, no, no. So I actually, and I ended up going home uh, almost right away. So they, they took me to the hospital. Um, the blindness went away almost immediately before I was even there. They Again, these, this has all been related to me. I don't remember right. the day at all. I, I lost weeks. Um, but I ended up returning to play the next day. So I forgot that the doctor told me not to do anything. The note, and I don't want to get the school in trouble, but the note must have not gotten to the proper channel because I was allowed to play. And it was amazing. I had people like complimenting my performance and I, I'm not, this is not me patting myself on the back, but I had a really good day of soccer. It was just a random game. And we're talking about gym class, but I had like eight goals. So physically I was like, I'm fine. Like totally fine. Like I'm, I'm kicking well, I'm scoring goals. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking. And then that I uh, ended up just getting hit very gently, but because I was in such a fragile, like eggshell state, um, it, it got me again. And then that led me down. It wasn't really the first concussion that didn't help anything, but the compound effect of getting another one and then getting post-impact syndrome was horrific, <sighs> horrific. Um, and what that entailed and what I think we're going to dive into now is about a month where all I could do was look at a wall. All I could do is look at a wall and really, I was cognizant enough, which I felt like was a curse in the moment to understand that I couldn't think. That was it. Were, all, you, just, were you instructed to just look at a wall or that's all you were able to do? Um, both. They said, if you're gonna watch TV, I swear to goodness, this, I thought it was a joke, but this was serious, watch Jersey Shore. That's what they told me because it won't require any brain cells. Might've been a bad joke, but that was the prognosis I was given. They told me, don't read, try not to think. And that right there was, it seems so daunting, but the fact that he said, try not to think made me really think about what's going on in my brain and how can I do it? And so it was about a month of staring at a wall and I just told myself, and I don't want to continue to rant, I want some uh, feedback on this one, but it was like, I just really thought if I can think again, it's gonna be different. I don't know how it's gonna be, but I know the way I'm gonna think and the way I'm gonna articulate and care about people will be completely different. So what, what, what that says to me is two things. One is I'm very surprised that they told you not to think because it seems to me that just like somebody who has pain down their arm, thinking about the way that their arm is supposed to feel and the way it's supposed to move can actually reduce the pain. I'm surprised that they didn't want you to try to create those neural connections all over again through thought. So I just don't know enough about the neurology of, of why. No, 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 I was shocked. There's no reason. I can tell you that. I know enough about neurology to know that there was no, yeah, it doesn't that make was not sense. practical advice. That wasn't good. And it wasn't what eventually allowed me to get my brain back. So the second thing is that it strikes me that you didn't stop thinking. You just started thinking more intrinsically Correct. than thinking, oh, that's interesting. Let me react to that. And the fact that the thought went through your mind that when I get the ability to think freely again, it's going to be different. If I do, did not know it was going to come back. Okay. I was kind of begging. That was almost like a proclamation. Like if I can get it back, whether it was a prayer or right. a, a plea, so, like I was bargaining, if so you will, in the steps. Um, well, it was immediately different. It was just that... Uh, the way I process things and the way that I go through what I focus on, who I talk to, who I'm around, everything kind of just went through a better filtration system. So it didn't change, right? But I just started getting way more refined and like, who are you hanging out with? What are the messages you're listening to? You know, what, how are you conversating? Um, I didn't look at someone in the eye. This is no joke until I was like 14. But why? Like, wh why, why, was why that? did any of that change? Um, well, the terror. Like, pure terror, terror. Just fear of knowing that this could be gone. Like I, and not anger, but knowing that I took every thought I ever had for granted. And I, I don't, 
I still do, but I don't want to do that again. Like if I have a conscious ability or an unconscious ability to set up my life so that I'm a little bit more aware of every single thing that goes through my mind without being a perfectionist and without, you know, getting the negative effect of that, um, it just changed the game for me. So you really just decided to plug yourself into and take the reins of your faculties more than you ever had before. Correct. And remember, for 30 days, I didn't have anything to do. So even though I was instructed not to think, I had to come up with practices and habits. It was so bad. I'll communicate this to you guys. So in my brain, like how I'm talking now, that voice was very concrete and solid. But if I needed like a tissue or something or if I needed a beverage, um, I would have to like write drink, need water like that's how it would come off on paper and if i tried to talk it was even worse so it was just like as soon as i started to regain a noun or a verb that i wanted to say that was a miracle to me and then it's like let's take words to sentences sentences to paragraphs paragraphs to you know dissertations if you will because i'm not a big writer but how can i can i start to chunk things together so it's almost like i relearned how to communicate speak everything it had to be a complete reset and so i think that allowed like a like a forest fire it allowed the regrowth and the repopulation like a phoenix. It had to rise from the ashes. It had to start from rock bottom. But again, I just thought like you took every thought for granted. Let's let's not make up for lost time, but let's make sure we don't do that again. And so this Which was, I have taken my thoughts for granted, not to interrupt you. I mean, well, I'm no. human. We all do. But I do it a lot less, more so now than ever. I think that I think it's interesting what you're saying here. I also think that there's some danger in it. And I want you to help people get past that danger. The danger is I believe that more people are stuck in paralysis by analysis than action to a fault. I agree. And I was before this event. Definitely was. So how, how do you reconcile thinking enough to act wisely and acting fast enough to make sure you don't miss opportunity? I think if we take that at the simplest level. Um, just make sure your thoughts have actions attached to them. Like that sounds way too simple, but make sure it's not just thinking. Like if you're, let's just take a practical example of like moving forward in a coaching career, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much we think about it. And I think you strike me as the person that there's 10,000 foot views, right? And I don't want to stereotype you. Go and ahead. then there's ground floor, Stere- right? Stereotype the shit out of you. Know, me. And in a good way, you, you like to be looking at the very top of, I think everything, like you want to be at that highest level and not that you don't want to be down in the trenches, but you can't be zero feet and you can't be at the peak of the mountain. So you can't be at the base of the mountain and the top of the mountain. And I think you'd prefer to have that 10,000 foot view. And I think what I would say is be a chameleon. And what I mean by that is be open to changing between am I looking at the highest view and trying to set this up or am I actually in the in the ground doing things so are you in the clouds are you in the dirt because the clouds is where we come up with these ideas and the dirt is where we actuate them and I actually learned that from a golf coach so that was a a mechanism that was already taught to me for a sport that I then applied to everything in my whole life so crazy story here I'm actually going to bring this back to MTV trashy TV love it I was in the mall at Roosevelt Field with two of my friends and one of them I believe is actually your roommate now Larry and do you remember the show Room Raiders? Barely but yes okay so it was a show where like they used to let you go into someone else of the opposite sex's house and look at their bedroom and determine who you want to go on a date with based on what was going on in the bedroom great premise they asked us on the interview they're like oh you three guys seem like um, people we'd like to have on the show wow yeah so could you fill out this form and, and answer some questions. They're like, sure. They're like, what animal would you, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? I'm like, I'd be a chameleon because I want to be able to, you know, blend in when necessary and get out when I don't want to be somewhere. Correct. So 
It was just a funny little. No, like, that's a perfect parallel. He described me as like, needing to be a chameleon. No, I, I and be. it's so important that we go from that. And I think you need to ID. Are we more comfortable as a visionary in our lives, like that strategic planning, or are we more comfortable enacting that? And I think what you need to do, it sounds so childish, but if you have to buy three different hats, like literally ball caps that are like whatever the three roles are, you know, I read that I get this from the E-Myth, if you've ever read that, mm-hmm. um, phenomenal book. And it helped me a lot when starting the business, but it was like, uh, learn how to wear that manager, that visionary and kind of that employee cap. And I changed the wording there, but I think employee manager and owner to me are the three roles. And it's like, how do we take those hats off, put those hats on and how do we ID them? Like, it's very easy for me to be a coach. Um, and not that I don't want to, that sounds almost arrogant. It's that comes way more naturally to me. It takes an incredible amount of work and the respect I have for coaching. I always want to put forth that effort. I don't want to say it's easy in that regard. It's easier for me as fundamentally as a person to coach than it is to be a manager in business. So I have trouble. I'm not as passionate about managing employees or but I'm learning how to do that, but I had to differentiate, and this is an ongoing process of what cap are you wearing? So what I would say is if they're like, am I in thought phase or am I in doing phase? Define what those are. Define what are the what are the thoughts I have about this? What are the actionable steps I need to do? And maybe what's holding you back? I focus more on barriers, not what I can accomplish. Like what is holding me back? What's the one thing? Like if it's literally like I need to work out today, okay, we'll get in the gym. Like walk to the gym. Like let's keep it that simply. Just get in the door and understand, hey, I walked here maybe half a mile. Like I might as well work out for twenty minutes. And that's where a world class athlete could start. Like okay. like just like that. So you've talked to me about a different experience that you had where thought almost killed you. Yeah, I mean, this you, is after I found my brain, by the way. So this, this happened after. Correct. Okay, that's... Oh, excuse me, no, no, I'm, I'm putting before it. Brain trauma again, no, no, no. Reverse the details. This happened after. The story we're going to go to happened sequentially after the brain right. trauma, sorry. So and, so and so that's, to me, what is interesting. Because you literally almost died because you thought too much. Yes. So... Very true. I mean, look, you've had... You have more in your life that's happened in these two stories dramatically than has happened to me in my entire life. And I'm very happy to say that. For sure. Um, Wouldn't wish it on anybody. But yeah. it did serve me. Sure. It served it, me a Everything lot. does. Yep. So can you give us the 10,000-foot view of sure. that second story so that we can get into how thought almost killed you and what you would do differently? Yes, I can. So I want to kind of mask identity. Not that anybody did anything illegal or reckless, but there was a lot of bad decisions make, mm-hmm. made, and I want to keep all this positive. But I am going to talk. I'm going to kind of paint a story, not with fictional characters, you know, totally true, but just kind of leave the names out of it besides myself. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about my stepfather, who's since deceased, so it's not a big deal that he needs to be... Uh, so you won't be offended? No, he won't be offended. Okay. I hope not. He wouldn't be anyway if he was alive. But uh, so basically what we... Uh, what happened was we took a... I tagged along to a senior trip, right? And I kind of want younger, older males to kind of just close your eyes and think about, did you look up to upperclassmen? Maybe you didn't. Maybe I was a complete nerd, and, and this is what I did. But I was not very socially talented. I never went to a party in high school or college. It was a conscious choice about junior year, but I wasn't invited to any in the beginning, um, which is okay. You know, I wasn't really chastised or bullied, but I wasn't as socially accepted. And what ends up happening is I go on this trip, you could imagine the coolest people in your high school. Like, I'm laughing at myself now saying that in hindsight, but in the moment, I was very much about these guys. Um, and I was also kind of with a lot of my male role models, uh, not really chosen for me. Like, I didn't choose these role models, but they were the ones that were always around. And what ends up happening is we take a, a spring break trip, and I always say I'm going to do the short version, and then it ends up long, but I just don't want to gloss over the most important details. But this story is just so crazy, it seems fictional. We end up going to spring break in the middle of nowhere. 
West Virginia. Um, no joke. We are in, what would you say the square footage of this garage is? Not to give out too many details. I think it's like, I don't care about the details. I think it's 16 by 30. Okay. So we're talking about a 16 by 30 garage we're, we're uh, recording in. Um, the, the local hospital, we're in a city of Elkins, West Virginia. I can definitely say the city. Um, we're an hour and 45 minutes from th- this hospital. So that's the closest building or two. That's how not, I don't want to say anything offending, but we're in the hills. We're, we're in literally in the mountains, right? So we're pretty far away from anything. Um, and you have to drive really slow. It's cavernous. So you're not going to rush if there's an emergency somewhere. To, you're not going to get anywhere. So we're, we're in this campground. Mind you, we call this place the mountain because it's fundamental to um, my stepfather's side of the family. And it's a place where all of them kind of learned how to become men what that ended up being like kind of like a party haven and a a debaucherous place to do everything away from authority was not what i took from it i just took a beautiful tranquil we camp right on a river the mountains are incredible the stars are breathtaking you can literally see the entire milky way with the naked eye changes your life um talk about humbling we were talking about being humbled earlier that's the most humbling thing you can do i think is just see the whole map of the stars but that's besides the point we get to this magical place i've never had a bad trip ever it's been such an incredible experience every time i've been there and someone made a joke i swear to goodness at the beginning of the trip and again hindsight's 2020 where it's like it's like we're almost entitled to a bad one someone literally said that that day like maybe the mountain will make up for the fact that we've had all this blessing someone said that it's like the record could have scratched and someone could have said that's when they know they messed up like that type of moment and i thought nothing of it and i also had I forgot to add this detail when I both told you this story. I had two friends that had such bad feelings about the trip, they didn't show up. And those are the two trips we were, they were 15 and 18 at the time, they had never skipped a trip ever. And they both had a horrible feeling and didn't wanna go. And I kind of ignored that, I kind of felt it from them and I felt how uncomfortable they were. It's just a lot of crazy things. And again, this is all in hindsight. But what ends up happening is to, to kind of paint the picture, there was a bridge that had an overflow of water. We don't really need to explain the bridge, but imagine a bridge that's not, it's in the water itself and the water levels were so high that the water couldn't go underneath it. So they would call this a submarine bridge. If you can just imagine a block of concrete with three holes in it, the water goes underneath the bridge instead of the bridge being suspended on top of it. Does that make sense? Is that clear enough for people? Yeah. That yeah, gets clogged. It, it, it's not a bridge. It's not a big like, deal. Yeah, there's a bridge with a bunch of water on right. it and they decide to drive. It's more of a crossing than a bridge. Correct, yeah, it's like. a crossing. That's a great point. It is a bridge, but yeah, it's more of a crossing and we need to cross this. It's incredibly cold. It's spring break. It's in the middle of the mountains. There's snow everywhere. The water's freezing and we need to get to a cabin. The senior trip was going to stay down low, you know, a bunch of 18, 17 year old savages. They just wanted to camp on their own. But I want to go with the adults to the cabin because I thought they were going to be a little bit more tame. There wasn't going to be parties. This is how much of a square I was in, in high school. I still am a square, but the, I really was like nothing, nothing fun, nothing exciting. Like, let's just go shoot dice, you know, uh, read stories and, and hang out with adults. I, I always proved, proved uh, wanted the company of, of older populations. I felt like they had more wisdom. So, well, it sounds like, I mean, this is after you regained your ability to correct. think after having lost so it. So I was really so evaluating, makes... like, who do I surround myself right. with and who do I want to kind of put up on a pedestal. Right. Who do I want to yeah. model from? Correct. And so, and this was another event that was transcendent. But to long story short, um, multiple cars end up get stuck, getting stuck in a river to the point where if you guys can imagine like a mid-sized truck, the water was all the way up to the headlights of this one truck. And there was kind of like a bowie where you can imagine almost like there's a dip down in the middle of the bridge. And right when they were driving across this water to get across the crossing, because they were being very stubborn, um, again, the headlights dip underneath. They end up not flooding the engine though, and they get out to the other side, but now they're kind of stranded. And just to give more context, we're talking about water that is rapidly moving towards a waterfall. So loud that you could have been 10 feet from me, would not have been able to even hear you. There would have been no syllable. So So incredible amount of water. Yeah, Yeah. it's not a stream. This incredible amount of water, it's rare, but it's because spring, you know, all these things melt. And, and a lot of debris uh, are factoring, but that's besides the point. Um, but yeah, so it, what ends up happening is three vehicles get stuck in the river. One originally gets stuck, two people are inside of it. 
if they get swept off the bridge, it's, they're definitely going to be swept around a bend. It's so cold that even if they could get to shore, if we can't get to them, they're going to freeze to death. So the stakes are pretty high. Um, uh, S10 truck. So one truck successfully gets across. We know that everybody literally said nobody should ever try to cross that bridge at any point with any water on it. We all came to that agreement. Um, I think some ego was involved and someone ended up trying in a much smaller truck, much smaller, maybe a foot shorter. And of course their engine got flooded. I mean, you can guess the end of that story. Um, so they're stuck as well. They're stuck in the middle, this S10 truck. We had a Jeep on our side. What made across was a, a souped up Ford Ranger. For Ford Rangers on the other side of the, the crossing, there's a uh, S10 truck stuck with two gentlemen standing on the top of the truck hollering and what's amazing is I was sitting there I'm the only one that's not partying drunk I swear to goodness I'm sitting like I was and I hear that mosquito noise when you're almost like oh that's nothing like just relax and I was just kind of like trying to breathe everybody's drunk I'm kind of uncomfortable and I hear it again I hear it again I hear it again it's undeniable and it sounded so annoying it sounded like a whisper but I was like I'll just walk back to the bridge and I end up walking back to the bridge and I, I discovered that these guys were stuck and so I run back we get into a jeep there's one adult with me on that side the jeep gets into the water they tow strap the jeep actually pretty amazingly in this whitewater rapid water it's basically waist level luckily the guys that were doing it were like 300 350 pounds so in that case it the mass really helps to that's ground them it's huge I mean huge guys like linemen um, and so they t they end up getting underneath the trucks without drowning they tow strap both of them together as they do it the jeep gets flooded engine dead so that, that car's now stranded as well. They made the decision then to take a Polaris Ranger. And sorry that I have to give so much background, but it's like a souped up golf cart. You know, you see them in commercials all the time. Yeah, with, with the four by, it's like a four by four, um, but it's a vehicle, not an ATV. And so we ended up getting the steel cable connected to the other car on the axle and the, the pressure and the force from both cars ends up breaking the Polaris. So, so the Polaris was pulling backwards uh, for, so people know it probably got it 10 or 20 feet. Both cars were actually about to come out of the water and then the slack line kind of hit. The weight then it ended up getting processed uh, in the steel cable and it snapped and that amount of force getting pulled back and then getting shot forward smashes the Jeep into the truck. There's two gentlemen in the cars trying to steer them. I've never seen anything like this, but the guy in the Jeep, like a cat, mind you, closer to 400 pounds than 300 pounds, like a cat, jumps out of the water, or jumps out of the Jeep, like, puts his hands outside the vehicle and hops out of the car. I've never seen anything like it. Like, Jackie Chan would, it'd be tough for Jackie Chan to pull one of those off. Um, but this incredible move, uh, you know, when your life's on the line, you get, incredible things happen. And so he saves his own life. He almost falls off the bridge. He ends up kind of getting his bearings and walks out of the water somehow again. I don't understand how this is happening with the amount of water. It, remember, it's waist deep, but it's very, I mean, it's like if you, you put a pool noodle on it, you wouldn't see the pool noodle in two seconds. That's how fast this water is. But he's very, very solid, solid guy, carpenter his whole life. Um, and Kevin, and not to, I'm not going to give last names. I shouldn't have said a name, but we'll just say the person in the truck gets flipped over the bridge. It's only 10 feet, so the fall's not going to kill you, but there's a very risk of freezing or drowning at this point. It takes about 30 minutes. I'm going to hyper the story to throw a stick to him. He's probably 25 yards away. We eventually find we, we got a rock tied onto a stick, figured out the right weight to get it to him. And it was like a, a nylon rope, nothing crazy, but just something. And we're yelling at him. He's in paralysis. Like he's in thought paralysis. And he's also in like, I'm freezing almost to death. And he won't hold it or wrap it around himself. He can't decide. Should I hold the thing? Because my fingers are numb. I'm going to drop it as soon as I fall in the water. And we're trying to convince him to tie it around himself. But he's like, what if I, there's two vehicles underwater. He goes, what if I jump in? And we're, we can barely hear, but this is the gist of the conversations. We're yelling back and forth, trying to get pieces and parts. He goes, what if I tie this around myself and I get stuck underneath the vehicles? And that's a really real fear. Well, he makes a move to try to get back on the bridge. Almost does it. Gets his left foot slipped up. Like, he basically had his right foot planted. Went to move his left foot and picked up his left foot just at the wrong time. And that swept him away. He smashes into the concrete bridge. Gets flipped over. At this point, I was kind of trying to get to the furthest point on the bank that I could 
before it turned the corner to basically certain death. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay in a safe area, but this is a fishing expedition. We're not fishing for fishes. We're fishing for a man. Like, this is it. And I'm kind of having this conversation in my head. I'm looking at the adults. Nobody's really caring about getting him out of the water. Um, I'm looking at the kids that I'm with. Josh, this is the beginning of the really significant part of, Correct. of the change for you. Yeah. You saw your idols totally unresponsive. Thank you. True? Yeah. The, the, all the people, literally like a movie, that I put on a pedestal for pretty much my whole life were all in this scenario with me. And again, it's never a thought. We were talking about thoughts. It's not about like better thought process, worse. It's just different. I just went, why well, I, I want to respond differently. Like what is going on around me? A lot of it was due to alcohol, so I don't blame them personally. But that's, a, that's again, why I'm not a big partier. What, there, what, there was what also, the worst thing happens? <clears throat> but there was also the thought before that it was okay to drink alcohol. Yes. There was a decision, that's, which came with consequences. Right. In this case, there was a dire consequence. So so what did you do? I'm sorry, I'm losing yeah, my no, voice. Fine. What did you do? And I actually want you to hold off a second. We're going to take a quick break for a commercial. For sure. And then we're going to come back, and I want you to tell me exactly what you decided to do okay. and what the consequences were. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Active Life Podcast. I'm going to keep this interruption really brief. If you're finding it difficult to enjoy living an active lifestyle because of aches and pains, you don't want to go back to the physical therapist, you don't want to talk to the chiropractor again, and you're tired of missing your workouts or the active things that make your life fun, we want to help. Head to ActiveLifeRx.com. We've helped thousands of people from all over the world to get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. You don't have to be an elite athlete to get access to what elite athletes take advantage of. We're ready to help you. ActiveLifeRx.com. Apply to be a one-on-one client. And if we're not a perfect fit for you, we will send you where you need to go. We still turn away over 30% of people who reach out because we're not sure we can help them. We're only going to work with you if we know we can get the job done. ActiveLifeRx.com. Back to the show. All right, Josh. So you're standing on the bank in the safest place. It becomes clear to you. Correct. I have to act. What do you do? So I think the first decision was like everybody's staying on the bridge. Like, I'm going to go practically what I was thinking. Everybody's on the bridge. Nobody's in this lower area. He's not going to get back on the bridge. I, I acknowledge that. I was like, there's just no way with the water. So I, I went to the lowest point or the point where I could get him without putting myself in life-threatening danger, which I would have done. I would have went further out to save him, but I was like, let's get to a spot where we can both get our bearings and get him out of the water. And then it was very much a blur where he took one step, gets swept off the bank and or gets swept off the bridge. Mind you, I was telling you guys earlier, all the whitewater rapid water was pushing to one side. And this side was not going towards my bank. So what ends up happening is he jumps in the water and he ha- he hangs onto the rope long enough. If I have to think of the physics of it, and I do think about it a lot, he has to hold on the rope long enough to basically buoy him over to my side. And somehow he does. I don't know if it caught his foot. I don't know if he kept in his hand. I didn't really see that. But as soon as he went into the water, I started a count in my head. It was one, 1,000, two, 1,000. It was easier for me to focus on counting than to focus on saving someone's life. So, I, and then immediately, uh, I think I mentioned this with Larry, it was not a blackout moment, but it wasn't a decision. 
it never was like, uh, and this sounds so pretentious, but I got home and everybody had heard this story. We'll finish the story, but everybody heard this story and every single person at the same response like, wow, what a hero. And I went, it's just, I'm not trying to be fake humble. It's not heroic because I didn't make a, like a conscious choice. It was, I'm gonna pull him out of the water or I'm gonna die trying. Like that was the only that was the only outcome I could see, and I don't think that's heroic. I think that's just what happened when my metal got tested as a human being for the first time in my life. And so what ends up happening is I count to about four one thousand, about to get to five one thousand. I hear him breathe, and again, very blurry. But I know for a fact I get in the water. Uh, I, I firemen's carry him for for my wrestling fans. I just basically put him on my shoulder like a barbell. For those that don't know, a human being. We're talking about an over three hundred pound dude, definitely freezing. Like rigor mortis is not set in, but he feels like he's dead. He cannot. I know for a fact he couldn't support his structures. That's how cold he was. And so I ended up getting him on my back. Complete adrenaline. What do you weigh at the time? One twenty. Soaking wet, and I was soaking wet at the time, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, Waist deep, completely freezing water. So I end up getting him out of the water. Uh, you know, kind of shimmy him up onto the shore. And then I kind of slip and fall and almost get dragged into that current that's going to send me around the corner. So that's another detail where I kind of, I could have fell because everybody, as soon as I got him on shore, they did respond well and get him up, get him into a car to heat him up. So a testament to those guys for then, once he was out of the water, they made a much better decision. Much better decisions were being made. Um, But yeah, so we get him out of the water and then I... I just kind of scrambled, right? I, he was cut up. I, I tried to help him. I kind of ripped up my own clothing to bandage him up. I'm not a, a doctor, but I was like, we need to at least cover that up. He's very bloody. He got ripped up by that bridge. He got ripped up by the rocks in the water. He might even hit one of the vehicles. Um, I don't think he's going to bleed out, but I think he's significantly bleeding. Um, so we got to get him. We got to get him warm, and we got to cover up things. So I'm literally taking my own clothes off my own body. The truck that made it across, unfortunately, had my leftovers. <laughs> I had like some chicken wings we got coming into town, and all my clothing. So, I'm, but I'm not thinking this. I'm in fight or flight, and so I. I, I kind of recuperate him. We find some Neosporin. I do some first aid on him. Um, we get both of the guys that were in freezing water into a PT cruiser with uh, uh, just a hilarious vehicle with flames on it. Classic. And uh, and basically, we get him in there. We get him warmed up. We get him kind of recovering. And I was just telling you this. Like, I blink, and it's 3 in the morning. And I'm, like, alone. Kind of everybody's asleep. Uh, my, my T-shirt underneath my Letterman's jacket has been completely dismantled because I'm trying to use it for bandages. I might as well not be wearing it. Um, I'm wearing a Letterman's jacket that is soaked from the, the, the sternum down, and, uh, and my pants are just completely wet. And so what ends up happening is we, we kind of – what ends up being going on trial is there's, there's two gentlemen in the PT Cruiser warming up. There's one guy that was never cold, never wet. Um, that did not respond very well also in the car. Um, again, not calling out names, so I don't want to be like that, and I'd never want to be negative, but it's just the truth that did not respond well. Um, and then there's a guitar in the car. And so this sounds so crazy, and I hope, I, I don't want to be judged for it, but understand how far a person can come. This was at, I mean, barely 15 years of age. Here I sit at 24, and this is a transcendent difference. I didn't want to be socially awkward, not social anxiety, not depression. I didn't want to have an awkward moment or conversation and say, hey, could we get the guitar, not a person named guitar, an instrument in a case, could we remove that so that I don't freeze to death? I chose social convenience and not ruffling any feathers, like one feather, not feathers, a feather. I chose not ruffling a feather, over freezing to death and that's what ended up happening i ended up going to my tent not saying a word about the the guitar being in the car nobody's thinking for me i didn't ask any of the guys besides one for clothing one of them told me i don't have extra clothing which is obviously a lie because we were doing a a five-day trip i don't hold that against them but that is just how soft and how i just I, i i see it as a lack of respect for myself not consciously but i literally chose to go to a tent basically to freeze to death understanding that like i might not make it to tomorrow if i continue to sit here but that is 
for a moment, that was more worth it than, than being socially inconvenient. It was less painful than asking somebody to move a guitar. It's crazy. Yeah. Not a so, person, a guitar. Right. So you end up finally lighting your feet on fire accidentally in a fire and then recognizing I have to get into that fucking Correct. Car. Yeah. So. And real quick, just to put one more detail, I listened to a Ben Folds 5 song. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die and really accepted it. I was like, this is it. I'm in so much pain that not that I wanted to die at all, but I was like, this is so much suffering in my feet that. It's yeah, gonna, so, it'll be okay if I'm gone. So you had frostbite in your feet. Correct. And you put them in a fire to, to kind of warm them up. Yep, and I crawled. I couldn't even walk. That's how cold my feet right, were. And woke up from a nap and noticed that your socks were on fire. Correct. So And did not feel the flame at all. Right, which is a scary thought. <laughs> um, when, Larry, when we talk to people in our coaching programs, we talk to them about the idea of somebody is in a house and the house is on fire and they don't know it and they're not acting. You need to get them out. Mm. That's what a sale is. To me, this sounds like Josh was in a fire and he had to sell himself on getting out and it required a bunch of emotional and physical and mental energy in order to actually take action on it. Mm-hmm. Right. It almost cost me my life. And, and, right. Well, that's why, that's, why he's, that's why I think he's so special. And I mean, I think often chaos is the best fodder for paradigm shift right and, and that's how people kind of create those huge changes on their own and it, like he said it served him in this crazy way but what we hope we can do with this is that people can just realize all right i don't need some like let's, let's just learn yes from what josh did yeah don't freeze to death let's don't just, make that decision right. yeah try to not at the level the magnitude will obviously not be as profound for the viewers but it i would say it, it starts one brick at a time or one step at a time anyway even though i had that profound moment it took Backbreaking work every day to understand, but I just knew my priorities were different. Well, and it sounds to me like, rest of my like, life. like you had a pendulum swing yeah. all the way to the left. I need to think more. Yep. And then you get stuck thinking. Correct. I was paralysis by analysis was who I was for that period until this happened. Right. And then it swung back and you're like, oh shit, some thought's good. Yep. Too much thought might actually and kill And you're me. a doormat. Like right. you are literally a living doormat. And so it ends up where somehow you guys have some food that you find and some other guys were like, hey, I would like some of that food. And you're yeah. like, uh, basically, I'll fucking kill you. I'm eating all this Yeah, it was myself. a tub of mashed potatoes and I was in a point where I'm not really proud of it. I think it's hilarious now, but it was like three days of no eating. I knew what, this is not a great sentiment that I had in my heart, but this was just what I was feeling in the moment. It was like I had to go through so much more chaos and and, and, and shit, excuse my language, than these guys. Like, like, none of you have a right to any of this stuff because of what happened to me. That wasn't a very good opinion, but I was in, like, caveman mode. I was literally, like, almost starving to death. We had no resources, no clothing, still very cold. Um, Are you working your way out of the woods at this point? So we only had one vehicle, and we needed to whatever reason we had tents and stuff and I, and I ended up getting sweatpants and socks I wasn't freezing to death after I got I caught my feet on fire immediately went to the car and got the guitar out of it and got in there and once I got enough heat that I wasn't freezing then it was like okay we're gonna be fine we got some fresh clothing and you can't see it now but Dr. Sean was commenting on me and Larry both wear opposite socks and there must be something to that in the way that we connect and so the reason why I wear opposite socks is because I'm more likely to look at my feet if they're a little bit different and I never want to take my feet for granted and this is why because a lady maybe six minutes away that had a cabin brought us the most white like the tidy whitey of socks like tube socks right out of a dryer i've never felt anything more satisfying that like larry just asked me the greatest moment of my life before he started filming and he thought it was cage side when i saw stipe miocic the cleveland hero knock out alistair over him one of them but it was putting those socks on 
And if that can give me that much meaning to the point where eight to nine years later, I'm sitting in Long Beach and I can still remember how that felt, um, everything pales in comparison. The ability, I touch my brain every day and I touch my feet. It's a ritual that's very important to me and it really just grounds me in like what you're, the feet you're walking on and the brain you have in your head are the two most important things. And again, it's not bad if you take things for granted, but let's be aware of it. Like don't don't like chastise yourself or be mad at being a human. But if you're continually letting yourself off the hook, or if you're continually letting yourself be a doormat to the point where you, I valued a guitar at one point in my life more than my own life. That's the reality. That's why I let it sit in that car, and all it took was. Well, uh, I would actually push back on you and say that maybe it wasn't the guitar that you valued, but it was the comfort of not having to create the yeah, comfort around moving. Yeah, the guitar, the guitar was the symbol that, yes. rec- that that definitely represented that. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it just it just changed everything for me. And but it's been work. I don't want people to think like. I was a superhero as soon as that happened like my life paramountly changed and that horrific adrenal experience led me to martial arts which also shaped my life I'd say if there's three moments it would be head trauma it would be almost losing the feet uh, or just almost you know almost freezing pretty much to death and uh, and then discovery of, of, of MMA that, so, that was transcendent so, so there are a couple of things that I think are really important for us to kind of extract from this a little bit okay. and, and glean and, and kind of crystallize a little bit so people can see what's happening here that was so, a long story I apologize no, that was good. a lot yeah, it's good. good so <laughs> the first point is when you started talking about how after you dragged this dude out, the adults then started making better decisions. The kids did, actually. The well, well they did. were adults, 17, so, 18, but yeah. The other members of your credit, the seniors, yep. started making better decisions. Way better. I think that you're seriously giving them too much credit for and invalidating what your role was in that. And so what I believe your role was in that is here's an opportunity for us to identify the value of what a leadership decision actually is. Okay. What leadership does for people, what someone going first actually allows and yeah. gives permission for everyone else to do. So and opening the floodgates? Is that or like a levy bro? It's, it's, it's everyone's, a lot of people are, you can, you, um, one second, a lot of people are afraid to go first. <laughs> Seeing some, the, the reason why leaders are so respected and revered is because it takes a lot of guts to put your neck out for something to maybe okay. work and you went ahead and did that you that was ro- the first time in my life i went first dude by the you way. rolled all the dice. it was the first time in my whole life i went first you rolled all I the dice and everyone decided mm, i guess this is we have to this is what we're gonna you do. can put what? that characterization on me i not that i disagree with it but i i do want to credit them i still think they deserve a little bit of respect for, 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 for cleaning they up the some credit. i appreciate that larry the, the, point, the point that i think larry's making that i interpret at least is people believe they can motivate other people the truth is you cannot motivate other people because motivation is an intrinsic decision. I am deciding to be motivated. You can't make me decide anything. The horse to water, right? I mean, to it simplify kinda, yeah. You can inspire me right. to motivate myself to take action. And what you did by going into the water, bringing this guy out, inspired them to be like, oh man, I got to do the bare minimum. So it's the leadership that you demonstrated by creating the inspiration that allowed them to motivate themselves to go help this guy out that Larry is speaking to. I love that. And, yeah. and, and, and the first time I – literally the first time I ever did anything in, in a leadership role my whole life. I can attest that's to that. Okay. You were, that was you were the 15, first time. Man. I, yep. I also want to kind of let people um, off the hook in a very particular way. I think it's very, very easy in culture nowadays to, to, nowadays to realize, oh, man, leaders, quote-unquote leaders, people who are – 
fulfilling leadership roles consistently are the only people who are worth anything. And I think it's very important to separate being a leader. That's what I do in life. Oh, I'm a leader versus demonstrating leadership wherever it's valuable and necessary for you. I think there is a lot of value in being the kind of person who can say, I, I really enjoy knowing the rules, knowing how to be excellent and being told how to do my job really, really well. That's really valuable. If everyone decided to be a full-time leader, projects wouldn't get done because you need someone delegating. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so so I, I agree with that. And I don't want to speak even more to that because this happens with our staff right it's it's i'm the leader for our group generally but if i'm always leading everyone on everything then i will never allow our company to be as great as it could be as if for example you are leading us on something that you are better at doing than i also prevents you from actually attaining higher levels of leadership yes Lead, the great, the greatest leaders need to be first the greatest followers. It's recognizing I'm not the person to do this right now to show everybody. That person is. I need to learn what they know so that I can be more effective for people who depend on me in the future and provide them with the opportunity to continue to lead when it's appropriate for them to lead. And, and what I would like to do is kind of pivot from that to talking to people about specifically how do you take this story and this experience that you went through and – Use it as a metaphor for your own life so that it's not just a story that you heard that was yes. cool that you share with people, but something that transcends how you make decisions. That would give me an immeasurable joy. If so, one person, I remember when this happened, I thought, at least I have a story. So, at least I have a story. Not to impress people, but at least I have a story to kind of share. Yeah. And real quick, I just want to put a bow and a ribbon on that story. The second greatest experience of my life besides the socks, it probably should be the first, was the guy that I ended up saving. This is not a, this is not a pat on the back to myself. Um, I did not see him until my father passed passed away in a, uh, a self-inflicted accident. It was just one car, uh, killed himself on the ride home. He was 53 seconds from our house. Um, happened February 24th, 2016. Um, but he, uh, Kevin, the, the guy that I saved, I'm not gonna use his last name, I already said his name. But, uh, but Kevin, I, I got to see him, he was at the service, and he was, uh, he was making a lot of bad decisions in his life, and he had been saved twice. He had, a, he had something more miraculous happen to him than, than what happened with me. Me pulling him out of the water was the least miraculous, life-saving thing that happened to him, and he kept putting himself in bad scenarios. And after this one, the first come to Jesus moment did not register. The second one with me, he ends up having and starting a family, and he got to hand me at the service of my own stepfather who he loved and adored. He got to say, I had my daughter because you did not allow me to die. And here she is. Can you hold her? And that was, I might cry right now. That was, I could not fathom how powerful that was. And I really, it was the first time I didn't dismiss something where I didn't go, no, I didn't have a part in that. I truly was like, if you're going to say that, if you're going to go to the lengths and that is practically true. Like he would have, if he, if no one would have jumped in and got him, he would have been swept away and dead. And so a life, to see a life that I didn't contribute to, I didn't put this, not to be weird, the sperm for me wasn't involved. It wasn't, that wasn't my role. But to know that another soul is alive because of a, a decision that was made. And again, I don't even see it as a conscious decision, but I don't know if we can extract anything from that, but I, that's something powerful I wanted to share. I just uh, could I not think, believe that. In the worst moment of my life, at the funeral of the person I'm, that meant the most to me, the person that actually was the male role model that I idealized, that actually earned it, um, horrific moment. I got to give a speech at his eulogy that I, I still don't recognize. I feel like I blacked out. That's how crazy the thoughts that were coming on my mind was. Um, I got the whole room to be inspired and cry and actually, I hope, change their life a, a microcosm because what my father I wear a band every day it's not what would Jesus do it's what would Kenny do that was my my stepfather but he basically my adopted father my biological father was not in the picture and uh but yeah 
just to, sorry, that was kind of a little personal, but just to, that, that's, that is, it seems like a Hollywood ending to, to be there in the worst moment and to have that profound joy of like, this is horrible and I'm grieving, but also here's this life. Like it's literally like death and life. The, my favorite person and this person that I had a role in helping to facilitate the creation of, I'm saying goodbye to one person and I'm seeing another soul. So I'm literally watching the addition, subtraction of humanity and life kind of unfold in front of my eyes. So that was just <laughs> tremendously powerful, but let's go practically. How do well, we apply well, the story? So, so we'll apply the story in a second. One of the things that you had said before the podcast started was that you hope to learn something about yourself on the show. Yeah. Something that I recently learned about myself that I think now is very clear to me in many ways might apply to you. Okay. Is that people are trying to give you compliments for things that you consciously or unconsciously decided to do. They're just trying to acknowledge you for you. And I would advise you to take it. Okay. There's a I'm lot. working on it. Not uh, to interrupt you. No. I've been better about it now than ever. Yeah. Larry's actually helped me more than any human being in my life with that. That's and I've good. only known Larry for like face to face, six hours. Well, something like that. It's crazy. That's, that's more than that. Yeah, two workshops, two days right. of workshop. Well, I just meant more like on a personal <clears throat> yeah. level. But yeah. Well, well so, so what I mean by that is the people who are the most self-aware um, and who are the most confident in their own skin don't feel threatened by the compliment of somebody else that is meant to make them feel good. For sure. And when you, what I learned about myself is that when I did feel like, no, 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 no like I don't, I didn't do this. Like I didn't start this company by myself. I had people who helped me. For sure. Like, oh, you've done amazing things. Like, no, no, it wasn't just me. Like there were other, they're like, no, there were other people, but you're the one that's left. You're actually taking something away from yes. the person who's giving you the compliment. Yes. I agree. It's like rejecting that. a gift. Yeah, yes. 100%. It's kind so, of almost rude. And yes. I, I used to do it all the time, and I still do, but yeah. definitely well, really I mean, conscious of working. Yeah, on. I mean, you're literally remo- you're, you're denying them hope and inspiration. You're denying them the way that they want to make you feel. Right. That's, That's amazing. So so let them. Yep. Let them compliment yes, you. Um, I just didn't want to be considered a hero. I didn't think it was heroic, and I'll I still fight it. that. But 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 I'll take the compliment that he would be dead if I didn't jump in the water. I'll I'll definitely have taken the compliment. Okay, you're maybe we take it. maybe full take it. Yeah, you should full take it. Maybe it's just the definition of hero that we're in this example that we're fighting over. Yeah, whatever you say, the yeah. dude's life, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's talk about action and inaction because we need to get to people changing their lives with one small decision yes. today. I couldn't to agree this. more. So. I talk to people all the time whose gyms we're trying to help, whose coaching businesses we're trying to help, who are in so much pain physically that they physically don't identify with who they are and what they can do anymore. And so many of them are paralyzed by the fear of what if I try that and it doesn't work? That it takes sometimes hours on the phone with me to get them to do it simply because I'm willing to hear no until yes. For sure. Like I'm just, if, if I know we can help you, I'll hear no until you have no choice but to say yes because you just want to get me off the phone. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, how do people recognize if they're overthinking or if they're properly thinking? Because I think that that is a key discriminatory factor to people actually taking aggressive action for sure. To being who they want to be. I would say there's two things. I, I'd go two ways with that. I think, are you moving forwards or backwards? So I think with any any action, whether you're doing the right or wrong thing, you're, is, grow, you're growing sta- or you're dying. Is staying still moving backwards? Uh, no. I think I would say 
No, I don't think so. I think okay. See, I think it is because I, I, I agree. If you, I agree with you. If, with me or him? With you, with you, Doctor Sean. I think if you stay still, time is always moving forward. No, no, I agree. No, no, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, yeah, we okay. agree in that. I'm just saying more of like I don't believe sedentary exists. We moved them. Yeah. I don't believe Got sedentary them. exists. If that makes sense, that's <laughs> yeah, more yeah. of the angle that I think you are going backwards. You're going forwards, and I think regression is just as important as progression. Um, so I think, again, to be more like with what, what can you practically apply, it's are you taking any action whatsoever? And I've been seeing this all over social media, which I love, 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 love. It's um, what are you, like what's the worst case scenario? Like uh, let's take a, asking out a girl, okay? Really pretty girl, you put in the time, whatever it is, or maybe complete stranger, it does not matter. You saying nothing, is, is exactly the result of you saying anything, the worst case scenario. So if you say nothing, you're living in the worst case. It's, actu- you, it's actually worse. It, it, well, actually, it is so, worse. So, it's, it's the man in the arena, right? That's being the cold and timid soul that doesn't know victory or defeat. Yes. Which is the worst. That's being indifferent to life. That's not loving life or hating life. Right. I think the opposite of love is indifference, not hate. Yeah. If you don't care at all, the teacher that stops talking to you, that's alarming. Well, you, you the, can't, the teacher that you rides, can't you hate you. somebody without having feelings for him. Correct. Couldn't agree more. But yeah, so I think practically, like, are we... Are we moving whatsoever? Have we made a change? And I think just start simply. Like everybody texts me about, DMs me, um, asks me in person about supplementation and all these complex ideas. The more I sit down with great minds and not just fitness, martial arts, but just in general, great human beings, simplicity rules. Because simplicity is the only thing you can enact. So I, what I would say is, if are you reaching for complexity? Are you reaching to a pill, a supplement, or something that's not truly you to help you? How about you just start walking 10 minutes a day? And I would say start much slower than you possibly could think. Let's say, and I would equate this to exercise. Um, Like you join the gym. Don't try to make up for five years of bad decisions with one workout. You guys talk about this all the time. Don't blow off steam when you're already stressed out. Like let's start really slow. So what I would say is start so simply you can't fail. That's my exact practical advice. Start so simply you can't fail. If it's I want to learn how to kickbox, look up a YouTube video or a, I would go to instructor, but even if you're at home, look up a YouTube video and throw a punch. Don't try to think I need to fight Madison Square Garden. Don't look at the immensity of the staircase in front of you. You need to look at that. But in the beginning of the journey, every single, if I take one step and stop, or if I'm Cameron Haynes running 200 miles, it literally starts with the left foot or the right foot going forward. So I would say, I think you need to define that what is the first step or define what is holding you back and attack that. It's very simple. Like I, I didn't want a podcast. Was very not not to take away any any thunder there. I wanted to start a podcast, and it was really simple. Like you need a microphone, and you need to say something. Well, that's, what, that's that's step what, one. What happens before? What happens before the action? I think all the time about what happens. What happens between inspiration and action? Right. I think that's one of the most fascinating questions I've been asking everyone I can meet, and I still don't have. We an talked answer. about this last night. Yeah. And, and to you, what happened in between the two kind of pendulum swing ends that Dr. Sean was talking to you about before? What happened for you was you found the reconciliation of being socially considerate and finding enough self-worth yes. that it was worth getting after whatever you thought it was to secure your own self-preservation and growth. For so, me, right? Yeah, there was just no option to well, answer that, for well, me at least. Like Personally, to those two examples. To be healthfully selfish is something that you weren't prepared to do until that happened. I wasn't, no. So I actually have a, I have a different perspective. I think that people take action when the pain of inaction becomes greater than the risk of improper action. And what I mean by that is if I don't believe that most people move towards um, aspiration. They move away from pain. Yes. So I believe that most people who are not moving at all, who are stuck, who are scared, who are who are functionally impotent, if you will, um, 
are in a position where they have numbed themselves from the pain that the inaction has caused because it's the only way that they can get through life. And so now taking action is actually scarier than going back to numbness. The reason why that becomes an effective um, construct for somebody to understand is all you need to do is think about something as simple as what would life be like in six months if everything was exactly the same as it is right now because now you're picturing your future and it's not your your current and you can't numb your future so you get the emotions of it and it either forces you to take action or to reconcile that I'm just going to be a miserable person and that's what they talk about hitting rock bottom right right? so people hit rock bottom and it's like all right, well I'm going to go and then it's like oh I hope that was their rock bottom because that was pretty shitty no oh they did it again well because they've numbed themselves to it they have to look forward with the mindset of the current and see what their what their life would be like that every day without a doubt that drives action but i think staying in the same place is not first of all is not staying in the same place it's moving backwards right and i think don't this is where i want to say don't hindsight's 2020 don't be incredibly hard on yourself you know if you want a real practical example of what going from like morbidly obese to elite athlete look at david goggins like i think he's a great parallel of like he started with a 200 meter walk could not do it and now this man is beating world-class athletes in 200 mile races I would just, and it started with a you know a step now he's a madman i'm not mad saying man. be I like him got, i think he's got some depression stuff in there and i, I, don't I wanna, agree too yeah yeah there's I, some crazy stuff going on but what i'm all i'm saying is the the journey of you have to start with a 200 meter walk before the 200 mile race that's all i mean that simple parable right of like don't feel like you have to run the mile like if you're like, I cannot run, fine, bike, walk, you know, drink more water, make one impactful situation or one habit, excuse me, not situation. And then I think just write a lot of things down. I think that's very, very important. So, so to give Goggins some credit, one of the things he talks about is the cookie jar. You ever heard of his cookie jar? I love the cookie jar. I was going to actually, yeah. So, so he talks about um, writing down a bunch of things that are positive about yourself that, that, that remind you of what you've done well in the past so that you can remember who you are. Put them in a jar and when things hit the fan, just go to your cookie jar and eat a cookie. And what that means is pull out one of the compliments that you wrote to yourself Love a while that. back. That's awesome. And if you I, need, I have a cookie jar because awesome. of him, 100%. Well, it's, it's, it's everything to if me. If you need a second cookie, go get a second cookie. Just put them back when you're done. Put it in a jar. Don't let them all over the kitchen. Correct. Keep them in that one place. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a phenomenal way to think. I also think that for people out there who are being um, paralyzed by their own analysis and not taking action, get an accountability buddy. I agree. Like find somebody who really is willing to help you just by checking in every day. Hey, status. Just send a text, status, and you're going to have to answer them. And one day you're either going to get so frustrated that you're not taking action that you're going to ask them to stop being your accountability buddy and they're going to call you on your shit or you're going to make moves in the right direction. And I have one more tip. If you don't have someone that could be your accountability buddy, forget about fitness, forget about writing anything. Forge a relationship where you can have someone there because that will be more impactful, in my opinion, for your health than anything. Yeah. If you don't have somebody that can hold you accountable in your life, I think that's first one. Find someone. Find some, but forge a relationship. Like, don't force this contract of I need Larry to hold me accountable, so I'm gonna forge this relationship. Forge a deep enough relationship that you go, hey, I need some accountability. I that is so ideally important. so that it's not transactional. They actually care yeah, enough to correct. So important. Just, so just important. try to get to know somebody and be there for them. Can I ask an inappropriate question? There is no such thing. Yeah. Can I put a cookie in your guys's jar? Yeah. Go ahead. If you have a cookie jar, um, what I imagine. Dr. Sean and Larry, um, is you can, people call me Sean. By okay, the way. Sean, you can do it for humankind. People call me Dr. Larry, but I love it. Okay, Larry, the, Larry the intern. No, I'm just kidding, Larry the human. Um, but yeah, so we uh, basically this is the the biggest cookie I would say for me is I imagine either humankind or my ancestral line. 
All I mean is the the history of humanity all lined up linearly by generation. Like imagine one person all the way stretching back to the beginning of our species. And what I imagine is the, the Greek mythology of constantly pushing the boulder up the hill that will never end. What I believe civilization is coming up on is the crest of the hill. I think it was an illusion. I don't think the hill, I do think the hill ends. And what I think has happened, and I take, I don't look at humankind, I look more as my ancestral line, but I really think about the people that looked at me. The, uh, a lot of people might listen to this and be like, wow, that kid's been through a lot at 24. Not really, not really, and in 2019, yeah, but think about what we had to tolerate for survival just to be average. Imagine what it took to be average in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s, the practical skill, not to be excellent, to be average and survive. Kings were living worse than people in poverty now, so it's like, yes, in context it's great, but what I believe is that humankind has pushed this boulder up this shit-wrenching hill with horrible terrain, glass everywhere, nails, rusty nails, all these things. Imagine your whole lineage has pushed this boulder to a point, and you're the person, whether this is true or not, but you're the person that can push the boulder up onto the hill, decide where it's going to go, and then push it down. I really think we're at that point. Or, or let it slide. Or let it slide. Or let it fall back on your head. I think that's a decision. And I think what that does is it becomes a game, first of all. I think we're all children. So I think you turn something into a game, it helps. And it's, are you going to let the boulder slide back on, your, on you? Or are you going to push it to the crest of the hill? And I think if you really imagine your lineage, like imagine your grandparents slaving, toiling. I mean, I'm in New York. And I'm taking so much energy from like, I'm complete, almost completely Irish. And I know, you know, despite negative connotations and things like that. I'm so proud that this is the the place that most of them came to and then went and forged, you know, not just Irish, but I just mean all people, this incredible country that we have this opportunity. So I think we all have a chance, both as a civilization, to push the boulder. But I think if you're really struggling, imagine what the people that came before you that literally gave you their DNA, imagine what they had to survive. That is what you're capable of on, yeah. a, on a fundamental level. And if you're not inspired, I, th- I think it's just a good story. It's a good parallel. That's, that's a big cookie in the jar for me. If I can add to that story, if you feel like you're sliding, you feel like the rock is rolling down the hill and you need to stop it and move the other direction, people often feel like, oh, I'm just going to stop and move this the other direction. A rock rolling down a hill has momentum that you need to first slow down. Uh, yeah. Then stop. Then change direction. So the fact that you're not moving forward the way you'd like to is okay. Yes. If you're no longer moving backwards the way you want to. Without were. a doubt, yeah. So, and you're going to slide. Yeah. It's going to be a fight. And, and what I'm saying is call. it's just been such a slippery, horrible fight for humanity to this point. Yeah. And we are so, I mean, it's just not in a bad way, in a snowflake way, but it's just soft. This world's soft. What we have to do in order to survive is very minimal compared yeah. to what it was. That's not a, a horrible thing, but I do think it comes at a cost. And and I like I, I, I equate my experience in West Virginia with the frozen feet to like a, uh, like a, a manhood ceremony. Like having to go out into the woods, be stranded for three days, really discover yourself. Not with magic mushrooms or anything like that, but it, it was my my men's ceremony. A rite of passage for you, yeah. It was literally a rite of passage, yep. All and right. it changed everything. Well, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, this was cool. This was beautiful. What an experience. I'm really glad I drove down here. Thanks, jo- Josh. You Josh, guys are a treasure. Josh, where can people find you? So I'm on uh, Instagram at Bane Kane. So Bane like the villain, B-A-N-E-K-A-N-E, Bane Kane. Um, that's probably the best spot to get me, honestly. And then okay. I've got uh, a couple shows. I've, I've backloaded some podcasts that I just started. I just started a project called Coaches and Coffee. Um, so I wish I would have had more content that you could go to a page. I do have the that's I have the name, but uh, that will all of this will be publicized from my main page. And not to plug myself too much, but uh, this is because of Larry. And I why I bring you to plug yourself. Yeah, um, is... Uh, I'm going to do a show called The Finest and Violence. So we're going to really look, uh, take an in-depth look at fighters. We didn't get too much into martial arts, but martial arts is a huge part of who I am. And uh, we're just going to tell stories that have been forgotten. Okay. That's how I summarize it. We're going to be kind of quirky, kind of weird, a um, little bit more long form. And yeah, we're just going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about violence in, in ways that I don't think we 
correlate violence. So like you're going to you're going to also gracefully uh, accept the compliment of being the future of MMA commentating, aren't you? Appreciate that. Sure. Take it. Yep. Love it. <laughs> I can't I can't after all that. If you guys build me up, yeah, I got to take it. So uh, Larry said it, not me, but I will take it. I'll take right it. On, man. Uh, I look forward to it. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you, it. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Sean again, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I got a favor to ask you. Head to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to leave us a five-star rating. Also, while you're there, drop a little review. Tell people what you liked about the show. And of course, share it with the three friends who you think would find the most benefit from this episode. Till next time, turn pro.